All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to be back in 2 Corinthians tonight. We're going to finish our thought on uh, God as the God of all comfort. Uh, tonight, we're going to focus on the one of the many whys of suffering. And uh, I know that sounds really encouraging. Maybe that's why we have so many people here tonight. <laughs> we're going to talk about suffering. People don't. don't I don't I want to talk about that. I would rather be distracted and diverted. Um. I'm going to go back and read verses 3 through 7 again, and um, then we'll see how much further we get from there. I basically just kind of introduced this idea last week, and that took the, the rest of the time. Um, let's pray before we start. We always want to uh, not just open a service or a Bible study with a word of prayer, but whenever you read the Bible, it's wise for you to pray and ask God to give you some understanding and to open your mind and your heart. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this evening. Thank you for those that will join us online both now and later. And I pray, Father, that you'll open our minds, that we will be able to understand your word, that we'll be able to track and uh, stay, stay with the, uh, the trains of thought that are there. I pray that uh, I will be able to stay on track and lead properly. I pray that you'll open our hearts so that we'll be willing to change in whatever ways you wish us to change. Father, I pray for those that are uh, wandering around tonight uh, that are in the wilderness in their lives and uh, who are not being wise with uh, their behavior or their time. I pray for conviction in their lives. I pray that they won't have to go through struggle and trial and difficulty in order to uh, awaken them and draw them back. But I pray that whatever it is uh, that you need to do in each of our lives, that we will come to you, that we will submit to you, we will surrender to you, and that we will we'll follow you, knowing that you do have a land of promise for us, and uh, you have promised good things, not bad things. But we need to follow you, and we need to believe. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, there it is, so we through Christ share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, and he's talking about himself and the other apostles, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So the reality is, friends, we're never going to escape some measure of trial and struggle and trouble and suffering. That's just the nature of the world in which we live. Now, that doesn't mean that we should not trust and obey and avoid getting ourselves in situations. Uh, as uh, older folks, I know I'm older, but people that were older than me used to say, don't get yourself in a jackpot situation. You know what that means? <laughs> you hit the jackpot, but it's the wrong one, right? It's where you lose everything. It's that bad situation. And we can put ourselves in harm's way, right? We can bring trouble on ourselves 
And yes, God will protect us and watch over us and do everything that he has said that he will do. But many of the things that we find ourselves in, the situations, I should say, uh, we don't need to be in. We just put ourselves in those situations because we're not paying attention to the Lord and we're not following his direction, right? Now, there are general principles. There are principles that come from the word, principles as in, you know, that come from the scripture. Um, and if we obey, if we pay attention to those, we stay out of a lot of trouble. But you know what? We still have people in our lives who don't pay attention to the Lord, don't we? We have people in our lives who are just oblivious to what God is doing. We have people in our lives that are outright rebellious. And when we love them, well, what do we do? We pray for them. We intercede for them. And there is a level of suffering that goes on when we are involved in someone else's situation. So uh, with that in mind, we're not going to get away with that. The reason that Paul went through so much suffering was because of these churches that he started. Um, he was persecuted for what he believed and for what he taught. And uh, he struggled when he had uh, churches like the Corinthian church, which is, of course, once again, I remind you why I've called this study God's dysfunctional people, right? You've heard of dysfunctional families, right? And, oh, we raise our hand. Yep, that's right. That's mine. <laughs> well, there are dysfunctional churches as well. And oftentimes dysfunctional families don't appear so on the outside, right? I mean, it seems like we have a mass shooting every other week now, if not every week, which is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, we're handicapped by our unwillingness to, you know, determine that we need to do some things pretty dramatic things to stop this, but nobody wants to do those. I hear the same arguments every single time one of these shootings happen. It's the same arguments that come up on both sides. All that to say, though, going back to uh, 1999, when the Columbine shooting happened, that was unusual, right? Or not completely. Uh, there had been a number of school shootings at that time. But I bring it up because the two young men who shot Columbine up came from apparently higher middle class, you know, reasonably well-off families. And their parents were oblivious to what was going on. Now, that has not been the case in other more recent shootings. This individual that shot up the elementary school in Uvalde was, uh, had some notorious uh, psychological problems. Uh, there was another young man. In fact, here we can talk about someone here, you know, in close. There was a 13 or 14 year old that shot and killed three people over at this convenience store over here. And his father actually uh, aided and abetted, it drove him up and, you know, got. So it's not the case at all times that the parents are oblivious and unaware. Sometimes the parents are, uh, are involved in some way or they're just, they know that their kid is problematic, but they refuse to do anything about it. Um, all that to say, uh, when you have people like this in your life, when even we have situations like this in our nation, it causes shockwaves and it, you know, it causes us to have to deal with those struggles, those troubles, those trials. I would just encourage all of us to 
make it the case that we are struggling on behalf of other people and not because of our own poor choices, right? It's better if I'm hurting or suffering because of others than if I am bringing this kind of thing onto myself. Well, the Apostle Paul was dealing with this church and, uh, you know, I don't know whether it looked functional or dysfunctional on the outside or not, but it was, you know, a bunch of secular people, uh, people that were not raised in a, uh, in this situation, a Jewish environment where they would know the law. And, uh, you know, they came out of a wild world. See, this is the problem. It's like the people, this is my purpose in going through the holy history. I hope that you will look at the holy history as, uh, as, a, as a type, right? Make it an archetype. And you say, the Apostle Paul said, these things happen to them as examples for us. So we look at that. We've all come out of Egypt, right? Egypt is the lost world. Egypt is where we come from without Christ. Egypt is where we are enslaved to our own sin, our own vices, whatever those may be. And we may not realize that this is something that... Uh, is as terrible as it is until it starts pressing in and we start suffering and we start crying out to God. That's what happened with the people of Israel. They started crying out to God. God heard their cry and he'd already been preparing Moses to bring them out of Egypt. But what did they want to do almost from the moment they left? What's the refrain we hear over and over and over from these people? We want to go back to Egypt. So you see, we come out of sin. We come out of these habits, whatever they are. And you can be out of a, you know, a lifestyle pattern for years. And there can be a jolt that can cause you to turn and be tempted to go back, right? Um, sometimes we just let down our guard. And as the result, that, that sin bubbles back up and we give in. And pretty soon we've flip-flopped and we've gone back to Egypt. And that's not where we need to go. So um, suffering is integral to life on earth. And as I said, it may not be the result of your own choices. It may be the result of the choices of others. And that is what is going on with Paul. He suffered a lot as the result of these, uh, these other folks, and particularly this church in Corinth. And we're going to see a good bit of that um, as we go through the letter. So when Paul speaks of the God of all comfort, or the other word that could be translated there is consolation, right? And another word is encouragement. God is the God of encouragement. That's pretty positive, isn't it? I don't know what your, you know, innate reaction to God the Father is. You know, when you hear God the Father, what does that, how does that make you feel? You, you see an absent or aloof father. You see an angry father. You see a stern father, right? Or do you see a loving, compassionate Father who is there. Once again, as I said on Father's Day, I only mentioned this. Pastor Craig preached the message, and it was a great message. But um, it has been said that our fathers are our models for God. But the reality is that's 
That's a bad model no matter how good your father is. God needs to be the model for our father, right? And for those of us who would aspire to be uh, either fathers to blood kin or father figures to others. Um, God is a God of comfort. He's a God of encouragement. He's not, you know, a God who doesn't care. He's not a God who's too weak um, or unconcerned. He's available. He speaks, that is, Paul speaks as an aggrieved spiritual parent in this letter who's been through a great struggle with his rebellious children at Corinth. Um, those of you that have had kids, who, who have cared for children, um, they can be a great joy or they can be the cause of great grief, right? The choices that they make, the things that they say can really, really encourage you. They can overwhelm you with appreciation that God has put them in your life. Or they can make some choices or say some things that can really, really hurt you. Um, and that's the case with the Corinthians. They've been through a lot of turmoil, that is, the Corinthians have. And Paul's painful visit, he's, he's going to mention this, right? He had a, before he wrote this letter, he had a painful visit with them. So you remember that this is actually the third letter that Paul has written to them. And there was a, there was a harsh letter that he wrote after 1 Corinthians and then a painful visit. You know, I've been doing this church thing for a long time. And as much as I can, I like to try to pray for people and let them work out their junk before I have to step in and say something. Because I'm going to say this, nine times out of ten, in our era, if you have to confront somebody about sin, they don't respond well. Most of the time, they just leave, right? We're not in the situation these folks were in. There was only one church. You know, we've got five churches within a stone's throw of this building. People can just walk to another church. So... I had to uh, be involved in some painful confrontation to some young men that were in our church in the early days, and they just left and went to another church. And you know what? Two different, two different young men, two different churches, and in neither case did the church uh, that they went to, who both of whom were immediately involved in leadership in those churches, in neither case did those churches ask for any reference or anything like that. One of them ended up calling me, the, the pastor ended up calling me, but it was primarily because the young men that had gone there had admitted to some things that had gone on and was trying to get over them, frankly. And I don't know that anything happened, but there's, there's no accountability, right? So if you confront somebody, they just stop coming or they just go to some, somebody else's church. So as a result, it puts someone like me in a difficult situation. I pray for people. I hope that they will be convicted by the Holy Spirit, that they'll make better choices. But eventually, I've got to step in and I've got to say, hey, what's going on? And hey, you really can't do that, you know? Um, and yeah, like I've said, once people get going down that road where they're, they, they've decided to go back to Egypt, 
they pretty typically just stay on the desert road and get back to Egypt. That's what they do. I, I wish it weren't that way, but it's pretty much that way. Unless the Lord blocks the way like he did with the children of Israel, they wanted to go back. Um, I don't know that we're going to get into the other details. We might. I'm praying through it. But um, uh, after the people of Israel refused to go in and take the promised land, but before the uh, time frame that I referred to this last Sunday where um, Moses actually led them in a couple of successful battles, well, that was 38 years later. Before that happened, early on, after they had refused to go in and take the promised land, they wanted to reject Moses and Aaron as their leaders. They were so angry with them that a group of elders rose up and they were going to appoint other leaders and then they wanted to go back to Egypt. And so God had to really put his foot down and uh, the Lord ended up taking the lives of those interlopers who tried to usurp Moses and Aaron. Um, and, uh, you know, you would assume, and, 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 you know, when I say take the lives, I mean, this is like 250 people. And uh, God just took them out, basically. Well, you would assume that would scare the people. No, they got mad. The people got mad and they blamed Moses for that. And so then... Uh, a plague broke out and those angry people started dying and it ended up that it was, you know, Moses' intercession that saved their lives. Well, I bring all of this up because it's these incidents that kept those people from going back to Egypt. But what ended up happening? They wandered in the wilderness the rest of their lives until they died. Folks, we can suffer for 40 days. That's how long it took them to get from Sinai to Kedesh Barnea, right? In fact, shorter than that, it's 11 days. It took them 40 days to get from Egypt to Sinai, right? That's 40 days. And then it took them 11 days, it says, to get from Sinai to Kedesh Barnea, which is in the Arabah, south, just south of the Promised Land. There's the Dead Sea and... Just south and west of the Dead Sea is Kadesh Barnea, and that's where they stalled. That's where they sent the spies. That's where they stopped. That's where Moses got into trouble with the, the situation where he struck the rock with the, uh, with the staff when he was supposed to speak to the rock. All of those things happened there. That's where the rebellion rose up. Okay. Um, or otherwise, the people would have just gone back to Egypt. So... We don't have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, okay? We can go in and take the land. You can be obedient to the Lord. We don't have to live a life of continuous suffering, but that's what's going to happen if you continue to rebel. And if I pay attention to the voices of the people around me, and that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel, right? The spies came back and 10 of them said, there's no way, there's giants in the land. The cities are fortified. We can't. Do it, right? As I told the children, and, you know, I've said this in church uh, a number of times, can't is the worst four-letter word in the English language because can't means you won't and you don't. And you're limiting yourself. And so you've got a, a we call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, 
we will suffer for a period of time, but we don't have to suffer our whole lives. You don't have to wander in the wilderness your whole life. You can go in and take the land. All right. So Paul has gone through all of this with these people, the, the severe letter and then a painful visit. So I was talking about confrontation earlier. Those, uh, those are not pleasant times. It's not fun to confront people. It's not fun to tell people that they need to make changes in their lives. And as I've said, they typically don't listen anyway. So I always pray before I do. And the Apostle Paul went through all of that. All right. Well, bear all that in mind because we're going to see what he says about his next visit to Corinth. Uh, it won't be this week, but he tells them, I will just give you a foreshadowing or a precursor to it. He tells them, look, I don't want another painful visit. I'm going to wait until y'all get completely straightened out. And then I'm going to come and visit. I feel the same way. You know, I tell people, hey, these are the adjustments that you ought to make in your life. But I don't want to keep calling and texting and getting in their stuff. I, maybe I'm a terrible preacher, t- terrible pastor, but I don't chase people. If people leave this church, I don't chase them. I leave the door open. I make myself available if they want to call, if they want me to pray for them. But I'm not chasing them. I'm not going and, you know, trying to sell the church and, and bring them back. If that's what they want to do, I've pretty typically found that once people decided have decided they're going to leave, by the time they tell me, they've already made a firm decision and they're not coming back. Well, I always tell them, well, we're here for you. And, you know, there have been plenty of times when people have come back after a while. Um, but the Apostle Paul did not want to let go of these people. And I don't like letting go of anybody. Right? I, you know, I feel like I am a parent. I feel like I'm responsible. I love these people. And I just don't, I don't think people get it. People church shop. And again, these people couldn't do this, but this is what people do. They church shop. And like, well, you know, I just don't know. And I don't think, and you know, this and this. So we're just going to go over here and go over here. Okay. It's like, well, you know, Target is not meeting my needs. So I'm going to go across the street to Walmart. Really? We're a family. Well, what I find is typically they want to maintain the relationships with the people that they still have here, even though they're shopping elsewhere. You don't understand the church is relationships. That's what we are. The only difference is you're no longer going to support this ministry. You're no longer going to be here with us. You're just going to call and you know come from the outside, talk to these people, still maintain these friendships while you're going somewhere else. I frankly don't get it right? But the Apostle Paul did not let people go that easily. He really, really wanted to hang on because, again, there wasn't another church for them to go to. They were the church. And so what was going to happen is they were going to go back to Egypt. They were going to wander out into the world, and they were going to self-destruct, right? So Paul is reminding them in our passage here about the God of all comfort that because of everything that they've been through, God has been given a greater opportunity to grant his comfort and encouragement. See, the thing is, if he had just let them alone and let them go and do what they wanted to do, they would have eventually self-destructed. But because he put pressure on them, because of the harsh letter and the painful visit, they were discomfited, right? They didn't like it. They didn't feel good. And so, you know, every sermon these days has to be something that makes people feel better about themselves and feel better about life, 
rather than making them be better people. Well, those aren't my sermons, but I think that that's many times the case in, uh, in churches where the, the message has to make everybody feel good and confirm their current uh, biases because they don't want to be confronted and have to change. The reality is we all have to change all the time, and change is not fun, is it? Change is not comfortable, right? But God says that he is the God of all comfort. So God doesn't want us to suffer for the sake of suffering. He doesn't want us to to go through change so that we can be punished and suffer. That was the accusation of the children of Israel against Moses and against God. You brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. You brought us out here so that we would go to war with these people in the land of Canaan and they would kill us. You don't care. In fact, you hate us. That's not God. We're going to go through a little pain and suffering, but as I've said many times, it's like a workout. Okay? I didn't want to, one of many times, I did not want to work out this morning. I really did not want to go to the gym this morning. And when I came down the stairs... They were laying all of this uh, structural work out on the sidewalk that they've taken up. And so there was like a grinder out there and there were sparks that were going that were three feet high. It would have been a really easy excuse for me to just go back upstairs and go to bed or something, you know, like. So, no, I waited for the sparks to go to one side of the door and then I tippy toed through the, you know, the the framework that they've got out there, got in my truck, went to the gym I was, didn't feel good. I felt sore from yesterday, but I did it anyway. Why? Am I punishing myself? Do I hate myself? No, because I know if I get out of the habit, I will stay out of the habit. I have to stay in the habit. I have to keep doing it. Because in the long run, even though it is painful for a short period of time, it produces good things, right? So that's uh, Hebrews twelve eleven. And that was the substance behind Pastor Craig's message on Father's Day. You know, the Lord disciplines us. He trains us. He's seeking to raise us up, right? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Amen. But in the end, it yields or results in the peaceful fruits of righteousness. I want to hear something interesting. I pointed out to Craig on Father's Day after he finished preaching, um, he was sitting here and I was right here. I pointed up to the clock and the clock said 1211. Do you know what Hebrews 1211 says? I just quoted it. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but in the end it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Amen? Yes. So we're going to go through stuff for a brief period of time, but God has a purpose. And one of those purposes is perfecting you and I bringing us closer to himself, drawing us in, and making us more like Jesus. I was reading a novel, and uh, it's a a novel by a Christian uh, author named Creston Mapes. Now, I don't know how I happened upon his books. I'm always looking for books to read. But the, the last name struck me because my first youth minister's name was Don Mapes. So I thought, I wonder if this guy's his son. And I I looked at him like, no, he looks more like he would be his brother. So I don't know. I don't know if there was a relationship or not, but it caused me to read this book. And uh, I won't go into all the details of the book, 
but there's a family right now in the story that I'm reading that are going through suffering and persecution uh, as the result of uh, there's a man who breaks into their house and threatens them, and it's real scary and all these sorts of things. But uh, the author is a Christian, and he's seeking to toe the line between honest emotional responses by these people, which their emotional responses are so raw and so honest, it ticks me off. <laughs> it's real. It's just, I just want to say, hey, will you people start praying and start thinking through these things instead of reacting emotionally and doing the, which means he's a good writer because I'm drawn in, right? But he, uh, the author brings out a quote from a song that this family hears at church. And the woman is the one that's primarily the most scared because she was the one that was home alone when this guy tried to break in. And then she later finds out that she ran across uh, the yard to a neighbor with her children, and the guy stayed inside her house for a period of time before he left and the cops arrived. Well, she later finds out that he took personal items of hers and her children, which, you know, makes you feel violated. Have you ever been robbed? You ever been robbed? You ever had anything taken from you? It does. It feels like a violation, especially if it's something that was meaningful to you. It doesn't even have to be something that's valuable. If somebody takes something valuable, okay. But if it's something that's meaningful to me, it's like they took a part of me. You know what I'm saying? And so that was very, very valid. I thought that was good. So I'm saying all that so you kind of maybe be able to feel what I was feeling as I was reading this. And uh, so the woman is trying to have faith in the midst of this and trying to trust God. And she goes to church and there's a solo apparently that morning by a woman who sings a song. Now, um, in the book, they only quote uh, one line. It's a line from the song. Um, and I'm going to see if I can find that line because I, I found the song. Um, well, let me just read the song. As I'll come to the line when I because I'm not seeing the line right now. There it is. Um, here's the line that's quoted in the book. So if all of these trials bring me closer to you, then I will go through the fire if you want me to. Now, you may have already identified this song. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe it was an old hymn or something like that. But it's actually a song by a, an artist named Ginny Owens. It came out in 1999. And the title of the song is If You Want Me To. So I'm not going to sing it, and you should be excited. Okay. But I'm going to give you the lyrics, and now that you know the song, you can look it up on whatever your favorite, you know, Spotify, Apple, yada, blah, yada, blah, and listen to it. This is the song. The pathway is broken and the signs are unclear, and I don't know the reason why you brought me here. But just because you love me the way that you do, I'm going to walk through the valley if you want me to. Because I'm not who I was when I took my first step, and I'm clinging to the promise you're not through with me yet. Amen. So if all of these trials bring me closer to you, then I will go through the fire if you want me to. It may not be the way I would have chosen when you led me through a world that's not my home, but you never said it would be easy. You only said I'd never go alone. So when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, 
I'll remember the suffering your love put you through, and I will go through the darkness if you want me to. When I cross over Jordan, I'm going to sing, going to shout. I'm going to look into your eyes and see you never let me down. So take me on the pathway that will lead me home to you, and I will walk through the valley if you want me to. Yes, I will walk through the valley if you want me to. So, would you rather be free from trouble or be closer to Jesus? And we get closer to Jesus in two ways. We get closer to Jesus in what I will call approach, nearness, presence of God. That's where we receive the comfort. But we also draw closer to Jesus in likeness. We become more like him. Both of those are the result of handling suffering with trust, of understanding that this is the God of all mercies, that this is the God of all comfort. And if all you want is to be trouble-free, you just want to be left alone, you may find you're left alone by God as well. Oh, not that he's not there. You just don't need him, and you're not paying attention to him, right? So additionally, the Corinthians after going through all of this, may now comfort one another more effectively because of the suffering that they had all been through and the comfort the Holy Spirit had brought into their lives. So that's the other thing it says here. Um, God comforts us in all our afflictions so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Not everybody's paying attention to the Lord. Not everybody believes but you can be a source of God's presence in their life. You can be a comfort to them, right? A lot of times as a minister, if I'm in a situation where people are struggling, where they're having trouble, where there's a catastrophe, a tragedy of some sort, I don't know what to say. So I'm just there. I'm just there, right? Somebody's on their deathbed. I've already talked to them about the Lord and so forth. I don't know what to say. I was talking earlier to a couple of folks out here in the lobby about a man from our church that passed away several years ago. Um, and this is not Vernon. This is a man that some of you would know. But um, I was told that he was in the hospital and I hadn't even known that. He had never called or let me know. But he was quite literally on his deathbed. He had a... Uh, you know, a tube down his throat. He was a breathing machine. And they were ready to pull that tube out. They said, we've done everything we can do. His body's not fighting for him. I told him, no, I want to go be there. I didn't know if he would sense my presence or not. But I went in there, and before they, you know, shut the machines off and pulled the tube out, I talked to him. I just wanted him to know that I was there. Right? Now, you know, um, he had faith, at least on the outside, the external, he seemed to have faith. So, uh, you know, I'm as sure as I would be of anyone that he's with the Lord, but I wanted him to know death is not pleasant. Okay. It can be scary. Uh, there are people that just have, you know, a lot of faith and they just pass into the arms of Jesus. But I think plenty of people are, you know, it's, it's a fearful thing. Um, so 
when I'm going through suffering, I can endure it better when someone who has endured something similar and overcome it consoles me. So this is why I can be a minister. I can go into a situation. But, you know, if somebody is going through something that I've never gone through, they may be far more comforted by somebody who's been through that. Uh, let's think of something as horrific as, as a rape. Well, I've never been raped. I'm not a woman. I don't, you know, all I can say is, you know, I want to empathize and I want to pray and I want to bring peace and comfort. But if another woman has been through that and made it to the other side with faith, wow, wow, that's powerful, okay? So I bring something as shocking as that up because maybe something less traumatic has happened to you. Maybe something as traumatic has happened to you. And rather than continuing to be miserable about it or seeking others to commiserate with you, if you allow the Lord to comfort you, you can be a comfort to someone who's going through that, right? So when I'm hurting and when I'm in trouble, I need to consider what God is going to teach me through this, right? Because even if I brought situations onto myself, circumstances onto myself, um, the Lord is in the process of, I'm always looking for the providence in a situation, all right? So if you constantly think, you know, well, that's just the way things are. Nothing you can do about it. Just got to roll with the punches, right? Or if you're constantly thinking, oh, the wheels are falling off. I, of course this is happening. Everything bad happens to me all the time, right? Or you can look at whatever's happening in your life and say, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me? Not, why am I going through this? But, Lord, why am I going through this? What are you trying to say in this situation? Nothing you're going through is taking God by surprise. Nothing. Even things you brought on yourself. It's not taking God by surprise. He's a good and loving God. He's the God of all mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Wow. That's just, that makes you invincible, essentially. The worst of the worst happens, right? You're, you know, you're facing your last moments on earth. You know where you're going. The devil can't have you, friend. Amen? If Jesus has you, the devil can't have you. Jesus said, don't fear the one that can take your life. Fear the one that can destroy your soul and body in hell. Well, that's not the devil. That's God. We fear God. And, you know, I like, uh, there's an old, the original New Living Translation. You can't even find them anymore. It's the, it's the additional one. Uh, translates Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 8, 13, in a way that I've memorized. If you fear God, you need fear nothing else. That's a good word. If you fear God, there's nothing else you have to be afraid of, Right? So it says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. That's what he said. And that was, that's the break-off point for tonight. That's kind of where uh, I titled tonight's Bible study. Do you share in Christ's sufferings? We say, well, well, what are they? All right. It's a good question. What are Christ's sufferings? All right. Well, first of all, Christ suffered temptation. 
Scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in the same ways that you and I are, yet he was without sin. So he resisted temptation and never sinned. Um, in Gethsemane, you know, he was tempted by self-preservation. He just wanted to live. Jesus wasn't some, you know, masochist who wanted to endure the pain of the cross. He did it for you, friend. He did it for you. But he asked his father if there is any other way that this can happen, that this can be accomplished, and let that be the way. You know, hey, Father, I've come all the way to this point. You know that I'm ready, willing, and able to do this for these people, but that doesn't mean I want to do this, as in in his natural life. He was tempted to say no, and that's what the devil wanted. The devil didn't want him to go to the cross. But what did Jesus say? Not my will, but thy will be done. And that's what you and I need to say every day. Okay, Lord, this is what I want. Pray for what you want. Ask for it. Be honest, right? Tell the Lord. Scripture says, ask and seek and knock. Let that be known to the Lord. But realize this. A no is as good as a yes. Amen? You don't want what you want. You want God's will. Right? Jesus suffered temptation. He suffered testing and trial. When he was in the wilderness with the devil, that was temptation, but it was also testing. Um, each time the devil tested him, it was to get him to take the easy way out rather than the hard road that led to and through the cross. Right? Um, Turn these stones into bread. Prove that you're the son of God. You, you know, you already fasted 40 days. No, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so it takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Ah, you quoted scripture, Jesus. I know scripture too. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you, and they will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Ah, the devil left out a verse there, left out a phrase, right? Because that is a quote from the Psalms, Right? That God will protect us is from Psalm 91, right? It's a beautiful psalm of protection. But it says um, that they will watch over you in all your ways and bear you. For he will give his angels charge over you. Devil quoted that. And they will watch over you in all your ways. He left that out. And they will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against the stone. See, if they're watching over you in all your ways and you're paying attention to the Lord, you're not going to climb up to the top of a, a massively tall building and jump off and say, hey, Jesus, catch me. <laughs> That's not what you're going to do. All right. So Jesus said, no, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's not what we're here to do. Well, my old theology professor said that what was probably happening there is, you know, this is all about expedience. It's about getting a following. What better following could Jesus have gotten, right? He's in the temple, right? He's on the pinnacle of the temple, and he jumps off, and suddenly angels materialize and catch him. Do you know what the thronging masses below would think? <gasps> it's got to be the Messiah. Let's follow him. And Jesus said, nope, that's the easy way out. We're not going to do this with a spectacle. Ah, but that's what people want today, isn't it? 
They want spectacle. They want smoke machines and lights and, you know, fabulous voices and multi-million dollar buildings. And my friends, no, that's not, that's not what God needs. God doesn't need our aid in order to bring people to himself, right? And then finally, the devil just cut to the chase and he said, listen, you don't have to go through all this. Bow down and follow me and I will give you all these people. They follow me. They're stupid. He didn't say that, but he, I think it's inferred, right? I have all of this, the devil said. Look, here's all the kingdoms of the world. I've got it all. Just follow me. I'll give them to you. Well, see, that's all he wanted. So Jesus could have been king of the world. Well, see, he already was. But he came to be the suffering servant. But the devil said, hey, man, here's the crown. Put it on your head. All you got to do is bow the knee to me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, which is another way of restating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus' sufferings are about opposition and persecution. He said, if the world hates you, have you been online lately? Am I on social media? Do you represent Jesus on social media? Do you represent biblical truth on social media? Do you know you're going to get persecuted if you do? Right? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you represent Jesus, there's going to be people that hate you. And some of us just can't stand that. We'd never make it in a situation where we're actually being persecuted, much less being threatened with martyrdom because we're too worried about what other people think. You know what? In our minds, we're still in high school. We're too worried about what all these other kids are thinking rather than just being the person God created you to be. Well, Jesus went through that. That's the sufferings of Christ. Temptation, trial, opposition, persecution. Jesus said, you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. For yours is the kingdom. Jesus suffered rejection. It says in John 1.11, beginning of John's gospel, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Wow. What happens when you go to your relatives and they just don't want to have anything to do with you? Well, if you're mean, then, you know, I'm saying you're representing Jesus. You're representing the issues that, come from scripture and they don't have anything to do with you. That's what Jesus went through. You're not alone. And then Jesus said this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is as he's going into Jerusalem. He's getting, he's, he's on, uh, uh, he's on the way on the triumphal entry. He's on the way into Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, he's in that last week of his life where he's going to be crucified. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. So it's likely that when the apostle Paul speaks of the Corinthians enduring the same sufferings as he and his companions, that is as Paul and his companions, it's due to the offense and rejection that he's had to endure from his own people uh, since the beginning. And then Jesus suffered uh, because he suffered for you. All right. It's vicarious suffering. 
He who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You may have such sympathy, such empathy for someone else that you suffer. That's Christ's sufferings right there. So how do I go about sharing in Christ's sufferings? Number one, I share in Christ's sufferings when I resist temptation to go along with the cultural norms that encourage biblically unjust or immoral behavior. Listen, man, I am seeing Christians, so-called Christians, fall right and left because they just want to get along, right? They've, they've identified with a particular tribe, political group, right? And that's where they're getting their values, I mean, I'm, I'm watching people online and I'm listening to some of the things they're saying. And I'm like, some of you have been listening to the word of God for years. And now suddenly you're taking a position on certain issues that are antithetical to God's word. Right. Um, number two, I share Christ's sufferings when my faith is tested, which proves, by the way, that it's real doubt. You're going to have times of doubt. What do you do with the doubt? Doubt doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Doubt means that you do have faith. You understand that, right? Doubt can be your sparring partner. You're there to put doubt down. Put your dukes up, man. Fight that doubt down. It'll make you a stronger believer. I share in Christ's sufferings when people ignore me, when they exclude me. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, this is more obvious perhaps to me than it would be to you. But all I have to do is tell people that I'm a pastor. That's all I have to do. Right? I used to drive, uh, you know, rideshare for Uber and Lyft. And if people were up for a conversation, then I'd ask them, you know, what they did for a living and all those sorts of things. And they'd ask me. And I'd say, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. One of two things are going to happen. They're going to shut right up and say nothing else. Or they're going to say, oh, well, what church and where is it? And, you know, either show genuine interest or fiend some interest. But one way or the other, when you represent Jesus, people that don't want to have anything to do with him are going to ignore you. They're going to exclude you from their group. They're over here. Again, it's just like high school. They're over here in their little group and they're just ignoring you and you're by yourself. Right. Well, that's sharing in Christ's sufferings. Um, and there's lots of ways that that uh, will make itself a reality if you are representing Jesus and biblical values. If I'm so closely identified with Christ, this is number four, those who reject him will reject me. And if I represent him well, those who reject me also reject him. I'm sorry, that's, that's still part of this number three, um, when people ignore me. It's just a sub number here. Um, I enter into Christ's sufferings when I suffer alongside someone or in their place. And that's when I'm most like Jesus. You know, a lot of times we've got so much trouble in our own lives. Man, don't you have enough drama in your own life? And then somebody, you know, comes in, some friend comes in, somebody has more drama and you're like, you know, I just don't want to deal with this. I got enough going on, you know, go to somebody else. You know what? I may not have anything for them. But what I can do is pray, right? It's like, you know, Peter. Peter and John are coming into the temple. This is in Acts chapter 3. And they see a man that, uh, that is unable to walk. And he's been there uh, begging for years. 
And uh, so Peter stops and looks at him. And the guy looks up at Peter like he's going to get something, right? This happens all the time. You know, our, our homeless friends out here, um, they'll put themselves in a position where people will have to deal with them, essentially. It's kind of wise if you want to know the truth. I mean, it's annoying to us because it, you know, afflicts our consciences. But this is why I had to put the no loitering signs up in front of the church because, you know, we've got one fellow in particular that will literally live on that bench out in front of the church and never move. I don't mind if you sit out there for an hour or two. Uh, you know, I understand what's going on. People are going to walk by. If they want to give you some money or give you some food or whatever, um, but I had to put the no loitering sign because they just they won't move, right? They just plant it there and don't go anywhere else. Um, but this guy was, you know, like them, except he was handicapped. It wasn't a situation where he is, his laziness was keeping him handicapped. And Peter stopped, and the guy looked up at him like Peter was going to give him some money. And what did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have I give to you. Rise and walk. And the man had faith and paid attention and stood up and walked. Well, I can't say rise and walk, but I can say that I will pray for you. And I do mean that. You can pray for Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, the things that I do and greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. So, there's all sorts of situations that I feel um, compelled concerning. I want to do something about them. I want to defend the hurting, right? I want to stand up for justice in people's lives. But I don't have power. I don't have money. What do I do? Will I speak up here? Sure. But what I can always do is pray. So when I say that I'll pray for you, when somebody posts something online and I, I say praying or I am praying, I am praying. Okay? Every time it comes to mind, I don't worry about it. I just pray and then let it, let it go. If I'm praying for you, I'm believing for you. That is something you can do. You can pray for other people and you can believe for them. We can suffer alongside other people, but we can't continue suffering. We have to lift that up to the Lord and we have to let it go and let him have it. You know, there are a number of situations in our church right now that I'm, I'm really concerned about, right? Uh, we have a man that has cancer right now. And uh, he's had, had cancer and recovered before, and I'm really concerned about him, and I've been praying for him. And I have no idea what to do for him. I can't, I'm not Peter. I can't make it happen, right? But I can pray for him, and the Lord can work in his life. And that's what I'm trusting, and that's what I'm hoping, and that's what I'm praying. And so when you bring something up to me, um, I'll pray about it. I may pray with you right here, right then and there, if you brought it to me up in front of the church, or if you text me, or you call me, or you mention it to me. Just know that I'm, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do more than just pray and say, well, Lord, I don't know what to do. I hope you act in this situation. I'm going to trust the Lord is going to act. Amen? And that's what you can do. 
you can believe in behalf of other people. This is why it's so important when we're sick to call on believers to pray for us. Because when you're sick, man, you don't feel like anything. You don't feel like having faith or anything else. But someone else can pray on your behalf, right? They can, as the scripture says, they can stand in the gap for you. So there you go. There's some purpose for suffering there for you. There is a reason for you to enter into Christ's sufferings. And when we do these things, it makes us more like Jesus because he is and was known as, uh, this is coming from Isaiah, he was known as the suffering servant, right? There is nothing you're going through that Jesus doesn't feel, that he doesn't understand, right? That scripture that I quoted uh, at the beginning of this uh, teaching time um, from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 that said that Christ was tempted in all ways, like as we are, yet was without sin. Do you know that word that's translated temptation there can be translated uh, equally? It can be translated uh, tribulation or trial. So testing, trial, tribulation, temptation, it just depends on how it's affecting you or afflicting you. The reality is Jesus was afflicted He went through everything you and I go through, and yet he continued to put faith in his Father. When you and I go through these things and we trust the Lord, when we pray for other people, when we endure being an outcast, being rejected, being left alone, when we go through trial and struggle and we continue to have faith, we become more like Jesus, and that's what the Lord wants That's our purpose down here on earth is to decide whether we want to live forever with God in heaven and then choose to become more like Jesus, which is making us fit for heaven. So, yeah, that's the purpose for suffering or at least part of it. Amen. All right. You guys are just really up tonight. I'm so enthusiastic. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you're more enthusiastic than the group here in the room. But I did talk about suffering.